What's something you've experienced that's changed your life? Maybe a job or a scholarship opportunity? Uh, maybe a, a friendship, a mentorship, a relationship, maybe a student-teacher type of thing. Maybe it was something that uh, somebody said to you just in passing. Was it a letter, an email, a message that you got that was life-altering for you? I want you to think about that question here for just a minute. We're going to kind of let that hang out there because we've all had something that we have read or come across that's changed our lives for the better. Second question I want you guys to think about today is what comes to your mind when you think about the blessings in your life right now? Like when you start thinking about how God is blessing your life right now, what comes to mind? Now think about this one, chew on this one, because we're going to come back to this one here in a little bit. See, when I think about these two topics, life-changing experiences in life and blessings in life, I'm drawn naturally to the book of Ephesians. Uh, today we're starting a brand new series called One in Christ, uh, where we're going to go verse by verse through the entire book of Ephesians. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, this book, it's actually not a book, it's a letter. We can call it a book. It's one of the books of the New Testament. But specifically, it's a letter written by a specific person to a specific group of people. And like 12 other spots in the New Testament, this is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. And what I love about Ephesians is as you read it, it is life-changing. It's going to get a hold of you and it's going to make an impact in your life. But I also love it too because it shows us who God truly is. In, in many ways, the letter to the Ephesians is one of the most important and impactful documents ever created. Certainly one of the greatest letters ever written. When we think about our New Testament, we're often drawn to uh, the letters of Paul, in particular, maybe the letter to the Romans. We think about Romans being uh, maybe the most important thing ever written. And Ephesians is similar, but on a bit smaller scale. See, Romans is beautiful because Romans tells about God's plan for you and for me. Specifically how we messed that plan up, how we, we broke the relationship with God, but how God restored and redeemed that relationship that we have with Him. And then how, how God blessed us through that and how through the blessing he put into our lives, we will impact the kingdom. That's Romans. But to a lesser degree and on a smaller scale comes the letter to the Ephesians. Not lesser in terms of how powerful it is or how important it is. It's still a very important, very powerful document. But Ephesians is, is structured just a bit differently. You see, Ephesians uh, tells us all about uh, how God has blessed us, but it's told through the lens of the church. It's shown us how we can grow in God and grow in Christ together in community. And that's what I love about Ephesians. It's universal. Yes, it's written to a specific group of people, but it was meant to be what scholars call a circular letter, meaning that Ephesians, uh, the, the city of Ephesus, was not meant to be the final destination of this letter. Rather, it was meant to be the first destination and to be passed around to all the churches and all the towns in the area. And what better place to start than Ephesus? Ephesus was a major city in Asia, modern-day Turkey, back in this time. Set right on the coast of the Mediterranean and the Aegean Seas, and it sits right near the mouths of two major rivers that flowed all through Asia. In other words, if you wanted anything to do with Asia, commerce, trade, any of that, you had to go through Ephesus to get there. So what better place to send this letter than Ephesus? You see, the, the, what's 
amazing about this letter is it is powerful, but it is relevant for all of us. In fact, it's the celebration of God's saving power in our lives. Specifically, it's the power of God for us and the power of God in us. So here's a challenge as we jump into this series. This is going to be a long series. We're going to go all the way through the month of June, verse by verse through Ephesians. We do this, if you're a member of Redwood, you know we do this about once a year. We go all the way through a book of the Bible because we don't want to shortchange what God wrote through the hands of, of, of some of the greatest men that are mentioned in this Bible. But as we go through this, I have a challenge for you. What do you hope to gain from this? Now I ask you that because with Ephesians especially, it's tailor-made to learn and to grow. It's built for the individual to learn and grow in spiritual maturity, to grow to become more like Christ. But here's the, the, the extra step to this. As you learn in, to grow in maturity, as you learn to grow more like Christ, you naturally will help the church also grow in spiritual maturity and grow more like Christ. So I ask you again, what do you hope to gain from this study of Ephesians? The reason I ask you that is simple. You're going to get what you want to get out of this. You're going to find what you're looking for in this. So I ask that question carefully, and I pray that as we start this study today, as we get into this over the next several weeks, you allow God to work in your heart to show you what he showed the very first people who read this letter back in the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. If you've got a Bible, we're going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. I like this version when it comes to uh, more technical studies of, of Scripture. It might not be the, the version you would pick up to do your daily reading in the morning or at night. Like you're not going to read two or three chapters at a time out of the ESV. It's a little more technical. It's a little more uh, accurate to the text or to the original text and therefore is a little bit less readable. But when we take the time to slow down and approach the text word by word and line by line, I love this version. If you've got a Bible a app on your phone, that version Bible app, I would encourage you to utilize that. Uh, ESV is on there. It's available on different websites, BibleGateway.com, BibleHub.com. Uh, you can find the ESV very freely and easily on those websites as well. But let's jump right into the text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very common greeting for letters of this era. And if you're familiar with the other 12 letters of Paul in our New Testament, this is very, very similar to how he starts all of his letters. But I would encourage you not to gloss right past this, because even though these are two verses that seem very mundane, very repeated, there's a lot in these two verses that we can take out. First off, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. Now, maybe that doesn't catch your attention. After all, I've already called him the Apostle Paul in this sermon. And we always talk about the Apostle Paul, but the term Apostle was a title. And specifically, it was a title that you didn't just give yourself or claim yourself. It was a title that carried weight because it was appointed or ordained by a specific person. Now, often Paul in his letters refers to himself in a more humble sense, a servant of Jesus Christ, or sometimes a slave of Jesus Christ. Sometimes he just calls himself Paul. But here he uses the title Apostle. Now think about this a little bit here. I have a title. My official title is Senior Pastor of Redwood Christian Church. Now how many of you, when you see me on a, 
regular basis throughout the day or even on a Sunday morning and you woke up to me, you'll say, oh, there's senior pastor Kurt Whitten. You don't do that and I don't want you to. Uh, in fact, even the term pastor Kurt sometimes is a bit uh, awkward for me. You just call me Kurt. Sometimes people just call me pastor, like a, almost a more casual version of it. And if I send you a message or a, a text or an email or I call you, I'm not going to pick up the phone. This is senior pastor Kurt Witten. No, I'm going to say this is Kurt. Maybe I'll clarify with my last name just so you know who I am. You know, in case there's other Kurt's in your life. But let's say I'm writing you a letter of recommendation. Or let's say one of our students is applying to go to Bible college and they ask for a pastoral reference and I, I write one for them. Or, or I'm giving you a, a, a reference for a job. Or I'm, I'm giving you... Um, uh, again, a letter to get into grad school or, or something of that nature. Well, in that case, I'm going to sign the bottom of that letter, Kurt Witten, Senior Pastor of Redwood Christian Church. Does that mean I'm trying to show off? No. Does that mean I'm trying to get people to honor how, how impressive my title is? No. It means I want this letter to have credibility. And because I want this letter to have extra credibility, I'm going to put a title on there that has been bestowed upon me. I haven't claimed this title for myself. It was ordained to me by this church. It was ordained to me by Jesus through this church. And Paul's doing something similar here. It's not, hey, hey, look at me, I am the apostle Paul. No, it's, I'm putting the title apostle here because what I'm about to say is extremely important and I really want you to understand that. And so as we read that, that should get our attention. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And look who he writes to, to the saints who are where? In two locations. Now you may say, well, I see Ephesus, what else is there? Well, there's a geographical location, but there's also a theological location here. To the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. You see, what, what Paul's saying here is that this letter can go anywhere. The term Ephesus there, the, the, the city Ephesus, that's interchangeable. So long as in Christ Jesus stays the same. In fact, this letter is applicable to any church anywhere so long as that church is grounded in Jesus. Now don't lose sight of that. In fact, if you like to take notes in your Bible or highlight in your Bible, I've highlighted every time I see the phrase in Jesus or in Christ throughout Ephesians because that appears 35 times throughout this entire letter and 11 times in these opening 14 verses alone. Now it's not always in Jesus or in Christ. Sometimes it's in Him or in the Beloved or in the Spirit or in God. I mean. It means the same thing. In the Greek, it's the same. The, the translation here is simple. When your life and your community is grounded in Jesus, you'll experience the full abundance of God's blessings. See, that's the theological key and theme all through Ephesians. In Christ. As a church, in Christ. As a community, in Christ. As individual believers, in Christ. See, there's a reason for that. When we're in Christ... We are unified. And right now, we're spread all over the place. We're one church in many, many locations right now. But we can say that phrase, one church, because we are in Christ. I'm not here today by a creek. I'm not here today on a hiking trail. And when we worship as a family, we're worshiping in our living room. Maybe you're doing the same. And I know families all over the country are doing this. Churches all over the country are doing this. But we still are unified. Why? Because we are in Christ. We're in Jesus as we worship. And that's important because of what he says in verse 2, 
grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't gloss past these words here. This is an extremely Pauline statement. In fact, if you know anything about Paul's letters, you know that all 13 of his New Testament letters have the phrase grace and peace or some variation of that right there in their introduction. And it's easy to read past that because we see it over and over, but don't read past this. I want to encourage you to not read past that. Now you may have some translation of what grace and peace means to you. If I were to ask you, you could probably tell me and probably give me a pretty reasonable answer. Often specifically with that word peace, we hear that and what do we think? We think peace meaning I don't have any conflict right now. There's no war, no battles going on right now. I have peace. And you're not necessarily wrong. His readers would have interpreted this one of three ways, however. His Roman readers would have seen the Latin phrase pox. Now to them, pox was important because it meant something similar to what we would interpret peace as. And specifically in Rome, they had what was called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. The Peace of Rome basically stated, as long as you behave yourselves and don't cause any problems, we'll leave you alone. You'll have peace. That specifically applied to religious groups. His uh, Greek readers, though, uh, would have read the word Irene. Irene is, is actually the Greek that shows up here in verse 2. And Irene is, again, something similar to what we might equate peace to. It's kind of this peace of mind. No stress, no worry, no internal conflict going on in my life. And we think about peace, and most often we're probably thinking about a lack of conflict outside of us or inside of us, one way or the other. But his Jewish readers, and there were several thousand Jewish folks in Ephesus, they would have read the word Irene and immediately gone back to their Hebrew word Shalom. Now those three words, Pax, Irene, and Shalom, you're probably most familiar with the phrase Shalom. But when we read about Shalom, peace, it's not, uh, not simply the absence of conflict. Rather, Shalom refers to restoration. It refers to getting things back to the way they were. And we think about restoration, and maybe you think about restoring an old car back to its original form. But in the case of God and his people, restoration meant getting the people back in relationship with God like we were in the very beginning. In other words, we're making the world what it was originally intended to be. Romans chapter 5, Paul gives us an amazing glimpse of what peace with God looks like. And specifically, he says that peace is a result of our justification. Justification was work done by Jesus on the cross that released us from the legal bonds and the legal ramification of our sin. In other words, the brokenness that we brought into the world through our sin, God removed through Jesus on the cross. You could say the cross of Jesus has restored the relationship between God and humanity. Last week we celebrated Easter, the empty tomb, but you don't get the empty tomb first without first having the cross of Jesus Christ. See, when brokenness reigns in our lives, we try to fix this ourselves through all sorts of self-help uh, videos or books or ideas, or we try to help, this, uh, help ourselves through this mindset of humanity and human rights. Now, I don't want to dog on human rights. It's important that we treat uh, all of God's creation with respect and love the same way he would. But I don't want you to mistake something here. Restoration only takes place through Jesus. Reconciliation apart from him, it's not true reconciliation. 
It's us glossing over a problem by elevating humankind above all else, and eventually we start worshiping at the altar of humanity. Restoration and reconciliation, and therefore true peace, are only accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ. And folks, I want you to hear me. Because we are restored and have peace with God, we also have been restored with each other. This means that whatever you have done to somebody else to break a relationship, or whatever somebody else has done to you to break a relationship, was taken care of on the cross of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to fix that broken relationship, to restore and heal that broken relationship. And when you're restored to God, and you're redeemed and reconciled to God, He gives us the opportunity to be reconciled with each other. We just have to grab that and seize them. Paul goes on because he doesn't just leave off with his two-verse introduction. As great as it is, he gives us much more. And in very Paul fashion, he spends the next section giving a prayer. Sometimes it's a prayer of thanksgiving. In this case, it's a prayer of blessing. Verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now if that seemed like a lot, it's because it is. In fact, in the Greek, that's one long continuous run-on sentence, often said in one breath. Uh, thankfully, our English translators at least broke this up into a few sentences and 12 verses. But if you're a little bit confused or overwhelmed after hearing all of that, understand it's okay. And to be honest, I get a little bit overwhelmed reading through all of that as well, especially when I'm hearing somebody else read it to me. It can be overwhelming. You know what, right now our world's kind of the same way. Our world feels overwhelming right now. And life can get this way. Life can get confusing and overwhelming, even when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. But what I do when I, I feel myself getting overwhelmed, what I do when I finish reading this passage is I kind of revert back to my days playing center field. Now, if you know anything about baseball or softball, when you're an outfielder, what do you always do right off the bat? Your first step is backwards. So I take a step back, not to retreat, not in fear, not out of worry. I take a step back, why? Because I get a better picture of what I'm looking at. I can reevaluate the situation a little bit and I can get a better grasp on what I'm approaching. And in this case, with this passage, when I take a step back, when I catch my breath, and when I look at this from a different vantage point, I don't see one long continuous run on. I don't see an overwhelming statement 
It's like got the whole Bible wrapped up into 12 verses. No, what I see is a list, specifically a list of how God is working through us right now. First, it says that God chose us. Verse four, it says that he chose us. Despite our rebellion, despite our sin, despite our breaking his perfect relationship, he chose us, and not just that he chose us, he chose, chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us to bear the image of him. He chose us to be joint heirs with Christ. He wants us to be righteous just like Jesus. Second, it says he predestined us. Now specifically, he predestined us for adoption. I, I know some people can read this and they cringe because they think this maybe is pointing us towards the Calvinistic idea of predestination. Now in that belief, it says that God has already chosen who's going to go to heaven and who's not. And if that's the case, if I've not been chosen to go to heaven, then why bother reading the Bible? Why bother, bother coming to church? I'll just go do whatever I want. I'm not going to make it anyway. That's not what he's talking about here. He's chosen us for adoption. And what that means is those who accept his gift of grace, we get to be called sons and daughters of God. Third, it says that he redeemed us. Uh, to, be, to be redeemed, it's, it's another one of those phrases for what Jesus did on the cross for us, but redemption has to do with slavery. And in particular, has to do with us being freed from the bondage of slavery. In particular, bondage of our sin. Whatever addiction, whatever sin, whatever, uh, whatever's been holding on to your life, Jesus went to the cross to free you from that. None of those uh, addictions or guilts can claim hold on you any longer. Fourth, it says he forgave us. Verse 7. Now often we think about forgiveness because we can sometimes struggle to forgive others. Even if we know we're supposed to, we sometimes make that a struggle in our lives. But God forgave you. He forgave your sin. And because we're forgiven, we can forgive others in turn. Fifth, it says he's revealed truth to us. This one can be a bit confusing, but here's what the short answer is. God's told us his final plan. Now, Specifically, he's talking here about the fullness of Christ. In other words, the return of Jesus and the restoration of the world. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming back or exactly how. And I know many people right now are looking at what's going on in the world and thinking about signs and wonders and all of this. I'm not trying to debate any of that one way or the other. It's not important that we know the time or the place or the method. What's important is that we know Jesus will come back and that when he does, we win. I mean, I've read the end of the book. I've read Revelation. Jesus is going to come and he's going to bring with him a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to rule that new heaven and new earth forever. And we get to live in that kingdom with him. That's an amazing mystery that God has revealed to us in our lives. Number six, it tells us that God has appointed us. Uh, verses 11 and 12. What this means is we have a spot on the team. Uh, we, we think about this, we're, we're all part of the body. Now maybe we're different parts of the body, but we're all part of the body of, of Christ. We're part of the church. We have a role, and if we accept that role, we get to share in the work of the kingdom with God, with Jesus. How amazing is it that God is including us in his plan for the redemption of the world? And finally, number seven, it says that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We just finished this series a few weeks back on on the Holy Spirit, this wind and fire series on what all the Spirit does in our lives. And what it says is we've been marked with Him. Now we're marked with the Spirit. We're marked with the Spirit when we're baptized into Christ. 
That means nothing in this world, nothing can take that away from you. Now here's why that's good news. Again, go back to what we talked about, the mystery being revealed to us and I don't have to live in fear because I know the end of the story. When the spirit is marked on your life and marked on your soul, it says here in the passage that it's like guaranteeing an inheritance in our lives. It's like a down payment on a house. When I make that down payment, as long as I make my payments, nobody can take that away from me. And one of these days, that house will be mine. See, God's marked you with his spirit. And one of these days, you'll gather your full inheritance in the kingdom with him. But that gives us hope and it's good news because nothing of this world, no worry, no fear, no uncertainty, nothing of this world right now has any claim over you whatsoever. And nothing in this world whatsoever can take away the goodness that God has put into your life and into your soul. Go back to the beginning when I ask you this question. When you think about the blessings in your life right now, what comes to mind? Is this something material? Now, I'm not being shallow or petty, like, you know, well, all my stuff. No, I mean, even the things that maybe we take for granted that are blessings, things like my home, things like having a car that's dependable, my health, being able to get out of, out of bed in the morning, my wife, my kids, my family. Those are great blessings. And if that's what comes to your mind, those are great things. I don't look at those as being shallow or petty, even though I do consider those to be material. When you think about the blessings in your life, are you thinking about all of those individual things or are you thinking about this list? You see, God's blessings in our lives are overwhelming for us. They're overwhelming in our lives and we might not even realize it. He is always working in us and through us and all he is asking in return is that we simply live in him. Normally, when I get to this point of my sermon, I... I wrap it up with prayer. I'd like to do something a little bit different today. Obviously, everything about what we're doing right now is different. I'm in a different location. You're not sitting in front of me as I preach. Everything about church for the last month has been different. And that's okay. So instead of closing out with a word of prayer today, I want to close out with a word of praise, specifically a song of praise. We call this sermon the doxology because it's a proclamation praising God for the blessings in our lives. And that's what the doxology is. So, we're going to do this today. We're going to wrap up this sermon by singing the prayer of the doxology. And I want you to sing with me. In fact, I'm going to require it. I'll come find you if you don't, because I need help. My singing voice isn't the best in the world. So I want you to, to join with me. Wherever you're at, if you're able to, please stand with me and sing this song with me today. Uh, if you don't know what the words are on the screen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.